I think that he's not performing in his job is because he hit his goal. He's done. He ran the marathon. He climbed the mountain. He got the job. And I'm like, let's think about setting another goal for you. And I think it was really powerful. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my amazing guest, Jim. Jim, thank you so much for being here with us today. Michelle, it's a delight to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. I'm super excited. Give everybody the 5,000-foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Uh, cool. Um, I've been in the healthcare, medical device, pharmaceutical world for 40 years. I've run very large businesses. I've started my own consulting business, which I've had since 2001. Um, I've um, recently, in the last couple of years, Michelle got certified uh, as an executive coach, and I've been focusing a lot of my efforts in the last couple of years on coaching and mentoring. My passions really are developing people developing managers and developing leaders and helping people uh, grow. Nice. I love that. So Thanks. how did you get into coaching as a thing? It's something that uh, I've been very uh, curious about I, in my past leadership roles. I've actually hired coaches for people, although I've never been coached uh, ever in my career. I have had the benefit of uh, several uh, informal uh and one formal mentor in my life. And um, I think it's the recognition, Michelle, that I wouldn't be where I am, wouldn't have done what I have done, wouldn't have been uh, as successful if, uh, as I've been without people mentoring me or in my career. Nice. So yeah. people that aren't fortunate enough to have a mentor, somebody just kind of <laughs> grab them, take them under the wing, and they're looking for a coach. What would you say is kind of pertinent to being able to match the right client with the right coach? Yeah, good. I think it's really a great question, Michelle. I think it's really uh, a lot about fit, right? Uh, comfort and dealing with the person uh, and getting out of that particular coaching relationship what it is you want to get out of it. Um, some people really want to be challenged. Some people really want to be pushed. Some people want to be... Uh, use a coach to help them keep them accountable, not the coach, but the client, the client's ultimately responsible for being held accountable. But um, there are also some folks that want a little bit more mentoring where you can sit down and say, Hey, um, I've got a situation at work. This is what's going on. Let me explain to you and describe to you what I've done, how I've resolved it. And, and, you know, what do you think about that? So I think that's where it gets into a little bit more, if the client's interested in a little bit more of a mentoring uh, conversation. Nice, because you do have a wealth of experience behind you to be able to bring to the table and say, hey, done and been there, bought this t-shirt. And as a consultant, that's a whole different role. So let's just back up the bus for people who don't understand those differences. What is the difference between somebody who says, hey, done and been there, bought that t-shirt, somebody who's a consultant and somebody who's a coach. And how do you roll all those three together? That was a really yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think um, 
it, it uh, again, it, it, it varies on what the need of the individual person is or the organization that you're dealing with and where they are at their point in their life and in their career and what their aspirations are. I mean, I had a guy in his late sixties call me today. He, he, he's a friend. I've known him in the industry for probably 30 years. He just got laid off and he wants to start his own business. He's like, what, what are your thoughts about that? And what are the do's and don'ts and what should I be aware of and how does it work and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's unique situation. And, um, Again, I think what I've tried to do is, is help people in their organizations find or think about being pragmatic um, about finding a mentor, even if it's somebody informal, right? I think a lot of times, particularly those of us that work in large organizations, get fearful of people at the top. You know, I, I can't approach these people. I can't talk to these people. These people are different. They're busy. Um, but fact of the matter is, uh, if you've been at the top, you realize it's very lonely at the top, right? And actually being able to work with somebody who isn't at the top and mentor them and advise them can be extremely rewarding. And I, if when I look, Michelle, at the people I've known throughout my career that have been successful, um, you know, um, in large companies, I, I would say without exception, every one of them, either formally or informally, had a mentor uh, in that organization. Nice. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Is how do you approach people and say, "Hey, I don't know enough to not know what I don't know." Yeah, kudos to you because I think that's probably like the most important thing in business is to know what you don't know, right? It's just so critically important. Again, I think every company's different, every culture is different. When I worked at Abbott Laboratories for 11 years, things were very open. I mean, anybody could talk to anybody at any time. I didn't go knocking on the CEO's door, like say, hey, you know, Dwayne, can we have a cup of coffee? But you saw people in the cafeteria, you saw people at the coffee pot, you saw people walking around, you attended meetings together. And um, uh, one, early on in my career at Abbott, at the time I was there, it was probably 40,000 people. There were about 40 people that were at the top of the organization called corporate officers. And I just went around meeting with those people saying, look, I'm young, I'm new, I've only been here a couple of years. How do you get ahead? You know, what, 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 what does it take to be successful at Abbott? And out of that came um, multi-divisional, right? You got to work in more than one division, multifunctional. You can't just be in finance or marketing or regulatory or whatever, international experience, right? So that sort of was a template that guided my career. And one person um, in particular who was uh, Mark Miller, who was running Pacific Asia Africa at the time, uh, who later left with another former Abbott person, Jack Schuler, and created a ginormously successful company called Stericycle. Mark was like, have you talked to our chief operating officer, Tom Hodson? I'm like, no. He said, well, write him a memo, right? This is like 1990, right? He's like, write him a memo. Tell me you want to meet with him. I said, seriously, I can write Tom Hodson a memo and say I want to meet with him? So I did. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, I was out, you know, courtesy of Tom Hodson uh, at his local country club having a lunch, you know, and uh, I got to spend two hours with the guy. And I never in my wildest imagination would have dreamed that was possible if Mark Miller hadn't planted the seed for me. Nice. I love that. And I find so often that it's a lot easier than we think it is. We think it's so arduous <laughs> and impossible to get into places. We talk ourselves out of it before we've even had the chance to. 
And, and it is those just, you know, having the moxie to be able to go, Hey, I really want to talk to you. And the worst case scenario, they just say, no. So what? It, it amazes me, um, Michelle, sometimes when I go in and get, I give a guest lecture at a business school or something, how few of the people approach me after the lecture. I'm happy to talk to anybody. I'm happy to, you know, swap business cards and, you know, have a conversation with you. But I, I, I don't know what holds them back. Perhaps it's me, right? I, maybe I come across, you know, unwilling or intimidating or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm like super gregarious. I'm like, can we talk? Can I have your business card? Can we get back in contact? Can I have a cup of coffee with you? And a lot of people just don't do that. And I don't quite really understand that. I love that. Uh, there have been people in my life at times when they'll say, Hey, is there anything I can do to help you? And I'm like, uh, no, yeah. <laughs> can you run my business for me and make it right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, so we, if somebody finds himself in that kind of gobsmack position of, wow, you're offering me help. <laughs> how do they kind of get themselves out of that? Um, yeah, and play some insecurity, I'm going to call it, because it's just, there's, the words don't come to mind as to how do we articulate what it is that we want. Because you said earlier, finding the right coach is about finding somebody that does what you want. What if you don't know? Well, I, I, uh, I think it's a super question, really question, good question. And part of it's going to be a little bit of exploration, right? It, it's um, perhaps maybe like finding a real estate agent when you're thinking about selling your house or finding an attorney when you're going to set up a business or finding a dentist or finding a doctor, right? You may have to have conversations with a number of people. You may have to interview a number of people. It, it's not going to be sort of love at first sight and like, wow, this person's fantastic. So, you know, um, as the saying goes, you got to kiss a lot of frogs. You just got to go out there and talk to people and not be bashful about it. But I do think it's important that you find somebody that you resonate with, you relate to, that you feel that you can be uh, open with and vulnerable. It's so hard, even on a one-on-one -on -one situation, even with a coach or a mentor, a physician, right? Uh, physicians will tell you all the time, patients don't tell them the truth. Uh, you only drink one glass of wine a day. That's probably more like three. You don't smoke. Well, you smoke a cigar every week, whatever the story is. So who is it I can feel comfortable with and really trust, right? Trust is everything and be vulnerable and, and, and be honest. And I think that's also really important. Thanks. So would you recommend if somebody was in that position to kind of go through, like, these are the things that I don't like are happening can you help me get out of it? Or these are the things I want to have happen. Can you help me achieve them? Is there a right or wrong way to approach that whole conversation? My oh, I, 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 answer to your question is both. You know, it, it, both of them are fair game. Again, I think um, most coaches that I know uh, will have a, you know, first time, like, you know, get to know each other, exploratory session for free, right? Because coaches want to have that chemistry too. And coaches want to know this is somebody I can work with. This is somebody that I think, uh, you know, I will develop a good relationship with. So it's a two-way street, right? And, and you just have to realize that there's tons of options, right? And, and um, keep exploring. It's just like going to college, right? Um, there's a lot of places we can go and why did I choose to go to USC? Why did I choose to go to Tulane? Why did I choose whatever? It's a process, a little bit of exploration and a little bit of process of, of elimination. Yeah. Awesome, I love that. So who do you love to serve and support? Who's your favorite? 
Um, my favorite are um, new managers, people that have, because uh, of success in their previous roles as individual contributors, have now been thrust into a management position. They've never been a manager before. Um, they've been through perhaps some sort of management development program, two days, three days, a week, whatever. Their company sent them off somewhere. A new entrepreneur, right, who's building a business, never really managed people before. Because there's so many things that new managers do, and often they make the same mistakes. And helping them um, uh, avoid some of these mistakes is, is I think, really rewarding and, and really fun for me. Nice. I love that. And I've often said that what made somebody successful in one role, all of a sudden they get thrust into management or they get thrust into business ownership or they get thrust into sales it's a whole different skill set <laughs> to Correct. be successful in that new Correct. role. Absolutely. You can't go on all the successes you've had. So what do you see as some of kind of the, the pain points or the downfalls that most people make when they get into that new um, role? Yeah. Part of it is, is um, figuring out how to manage people, right? Uh, if, if uh, you've got a team of 10 people and I'm on your team, I'm working for you, Michelle, along with nine other people, you have to give me my own certain amount of, uh, of management that the other nine people, uh, it's all gonna be different, right? You can't just like treat us all the same. Some of, them, some of us are gonna be a lot more independent. You're gonna feel more comfortable giving us more rain. Some of us are gonna need very close management because we're not performing well. We gotta come up to speed, we're new, we don't understand. So being sort of, uh, treating each, person on your team uniquely and understanding what they need. How do they learn? How do they grow? Are they visual? Um, are, do they want to hear things? Do they want to watch videos? Do they want to read things? How, how do you want to be communicated with? Uh, maybe you don't like email. Maybe you don't like text messages. Maybe you don't like voicemails, right? Setting up the communication standards. And if I come in and my own personal style, if I'm your manager and I start sending out emails at 10 o'clock at night, people are going to think, well, Wetrich wants me to reply at, you know, 10.05 because he's online and he's doing emails. And actually, the fact of the matter is that's just maybe the time I choose to clean out my email. I really don't want a response to you till eight o'clock in the morning. But we don't set these expectations, right? We don't tell people, look, this is, I don't want you, you know, doing emails 24 seven. I want you to get some sleep. I want you to have some downtime, but they don't think about it. And one of the other key mistakes is if I'm a manager and, and somebody comes in and, and says, do you believe this, Michelle, this, Michelle, that, and Michelle, this. And so I go running into Michelle's office and I, you know, rip your head off. And then you look at me and say, Hey, Jim, would you like to hear my side of the story? Oh, you mean what I just was told is only a part of the story, right? There's two sides to the story. And often we don't, we don't understand that until it's too late. We've made the mistake of like, ah, I really better do some diligence here. Awesome. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Communicating expectations can be super difficult for somebody that's just stepped into management because Oftentimes they don't know what their expectations are. They're just used yep. to doing their job. And it's like, okay, yep. it's me and myself alone. And I just get to go and do my job. Why do I have to communicate that with somebody? Um, well, yeah. yeah the, the, last, the, the, the last point I wanted to make on that, Michelle, is yep. one of the things I've been giving a lot of thought to recently is another problem we're having is we're using words and assuming people know what those words mean. 
and and the example I use right now is diversity. Okay, um, I, I'm not here to tell you what diversity is or isn't or should or shouldn't be, but companies are using words like diversity, like we believe in diversity, we support diversity, right? But what does that mean? What is it that you are standing for, and how are you putting that into action? And by the way, if I'm a global company how we may think about diversity in the U.S. may be completely different of how they think about it in Singapore or South Africa or Australia or Iceland, right? So help people find a glossary for the words that we're using because without that glossary, we really don't know exactly what we're talking about. I think it's true about a lot of communication that we find. Nice. And... When it comes to these kind of issues, what I have in a bigger company, I'm assuming it's not as much of an issue to go, okay, well, we have SOPs on this. We have videos, we have the emails, they're already written, the templates are there. I can step into that role fairly easily. <laughs> Unless of course, I think there's a lot of problems with that role, in which case things need to be changed. How important is it to kind of change everything right away to make it quote unquote right? I think um, for people coming into a new management situation, my own personal opinion uh, is you take time, right? Unless the unless the company is in true crisis and you know you're you're teetering on bankruptcy or failure, but if it's a general uh, you know stable situation, I like to take a lot of time to give people the benefit of the doubt and to really get into the organization, understand what's what's going on here. The other thing that you find um, in, in organizations as a new manager, particularly as a new leader. And I found this in my last major leadership role. People will tell you, your, your, your staff, your employees, the people working for you will tell you what they want you to believe. They don't necessarily tell you what you need to hear. Right. So you have to understand that the story I'm getting may not be the complete story. Right. And I need to make sure I take time to figure out if what Bill is telling me is really what's going on or it's just the way Bill wants to spin things and make me believe it's going on. And that's that's challenging. Absolutely. So and of course, I was being a little facetious in that because <laughs> it's it's been a. Um proven time and time again that when people get into new roles they think they need to prove themselves and really it's they need to get familiarize themselves with what's going on how do you take people through that what's your process part of what i i i, I like to do michelle is is two things particularly if it's an you know an organization that's sizable first of all I like to get a copy of my direct report cvs bios whatever it is because if I come into an organization and you're my VP of sales and Bill's my VP of finance and Randy's my VP of marketing and Chris is my VP of HR, I see you, it's natural to see you, my team in those roles. This is who you are. Well, matter of fact, maybe that you've only been that recently and before you may have been an entrepreneur, you may have sold a business, you may have started your career in finance, you may be a lawyer, you may be a CPA. I don't know, but one of the mistakes we make is not really getting in to understand 
who are these people and what are their backgrounds and what are their skills, right? You're not just my VP of marketing or just my VP of sales. The other thing I like to do is get copies um, of past performance reviews. How well have they been done? Um, were they very thorough? What's on the development plan? Are you on your track on your development plan? What are your development needs? You know, and more importantly, where do you want to go? And if you don't want to go anywhere and you want to be VP of sales for the next 10 years, fine, that's cool, no problem. But if you want to go be a general manager or you want to go be a CEO or you want to be whatever, you know, having that conversation and trying to help that person grow and develop, I think is, is super important. Nice, love that. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of a client that you've worked with. Um, by Cinderella story, you mean uh, what specifically? Yeah. Um, yeah, just that they came to you and things were awry. <laughs> they were, you know, topsy-turvy, didn't know where they were going. And in the end, it was like, oh my God, this has been the best experience ever working with you. So um, one of the people I've, I've worked with recently um, uh, came to me and has worked for two very successful companies. The person's probably in his mid to late 30s. Um, and uh, he's now in, a, in another company and he's really struggling. He's struggling to get stuff done. He's just, he's, he has struggled before. He was in two very large companies, very successful. And he's in his third and it's just not getting done. And he then told me, that uh, he's had some personal goals that he set, like I wanted to run a marathon and I trained and I set a schedule and I ran a marathon. He said, but I'll tell you right now, I'll never run another marathon. I'll never do it. One and done. There was a particular mountain. I want to climb this big mountain. It's a big mountain. It took me a lot of training. I really had to do it. And he did it. And he said, you know what? I'm never climbing another mountain again. And I said, so you've told me about these big, you know, hairy, audacious goals you have. What's the one you have now? Because obviously you're driven by these big goals. And he just looked at me and said, I don't have one. And I said, to some extent, getting this new job was also one of his big goals because it was a big promotion from his previous company. I'm here. I got the job. I did it. I succeeded. I made a two-level jump. And part of the reason I think that he's not performing in his job is because he hit his goal. He's done. He ran the marathon. He climbed the mountain. He got the job. And I'm like, let's think about setting another goal for you. And I think it was really powerful. I, I think it's a conversation that's, that's really going to change the trajectory of, of him in the next five years. Nice. I love that. And I'm a huge advocate of goals and setting bigger and better goals in that it's not about, you know, is it a marathon? Is it a, a mountain? One's better than the other. They're not. But to, to start looking at what could take longer for me to accomplish and not just be, you know, my personal goal. How do I start looking at creating legacies? How do I start looking at and even moving people into that mentorship role is like, well, what will it take for me to become somebody else's mentor? Right. It's right, a different right. way of looking at kind of what do I need to know in my current roles? Yeah, I think yeah, for sure. Awesome. So what do you think some of the stumbling blocks are that somebody might be having in their thinking right now? Jim, I need you so bad. Um, um, I think there's a lot of pride 
right? Um, and and um, there's a lot of um, misunderstanding. I didn't know a lot about coaching until I really got into coaching training. I, as I told you before, I hired some coaches for some people that came on very strong recommendations that were career that were that were seasoned coaches with lots of experience, and the people had great experiences. But I think um, if we aren't familiar with how can somebody help me grow? How can somebody help me develop? What does the process look like? Um, how frequently should we have, uh, you know, uh, a dialogue cadence? Should we talk every week, every every two weeks? What does that look like? It goes back to the question of the comment you made early on, which is one of my, as I told you at the time, my all-time favorite favorite comments. If knowing what we don't know, uh, we tend to get overconfident. I was successful as an individual contributor. I'm going to be successful as a manager. I really, really isn't much I need to do. I can stand on my own. I wouldn't benefit from having somebody, you know, kind of along my side. And um, yeah, there's a few of us that are lucky enough that they really don't need a lot of help. But also there's a lot of people who you wouldn't imagine are being coached that are, are, are being coached and are actually getting help. Yeah. I love that. Um, so how quickly could somebody kind of turn around and start scaling either the business if they're in the business role or start seeing the successes that they're looking for when they start working with you? I think it can be almost immediate, you know, with, with, within a month, right? Um, figuring out what the agenda is, what the goal is, um, and, and, um, and depending upon the cadence, it could be every week, you know, um, beginning to work through some issues that um, seem to be roadblocks to them having more success or being more successful or the team being more successful or the organization being more successful. In some cases, it's, it's going to take time to maybe rethink, like you said, what is our strategy? Where are we going? What is it we're trying to do? Where can we be most successful? Um, and in some cases, it's a matter of focus. You know, one of the things I've found with a lot of the smaller companies I've worked with in my career, people have ideas and they're like, ah, let's go do this. We'll solve this problem. And then they get into it and someone says, well, this would be really great for this problem too. Oh, good. Well, we're going to go solve this problem too. And then someone else says, well, that'd be great for this problem too. And all of a sudden, you know, you had a super focused, really entrepreneurial, you know, likely to be successful company, laser focused on doing something. Now they're all over the board. They're trying to do all kinds of things for all, all kinds of people. And it just doesn't work in a lot of cases. You've got to stay focused. So you just can't be all things to all people. Right? Absolutely. Well, I know that our listeners are going to want more from you. So how do they begin their journey with you? You can hit me up on LinkedIn, right? My, I've got a LinkedIn profile. You can go to my website, uh, wetridgegroup.com. You can email me, uh, bigred at wetridgegroup.com. Um, you can go to jimwetridge.com, uh, uh, which is where the information is available on my book that I recently published last October. So there's any Hi. number of ways. Yeah. Congratulations. Tell us Thank about you. the book. Um, it's called Stifled. It's uh, where good leaders go wrong. And um, it's um, really uh, 17 different chapters on, um, I think, uh, where leaders can uh, learn. And uh, I tried to take examples, uh, Michelle, of my career where I've seen leaders really fail and point them out. Um, and 
to help keep people from making some of those similar mistakes. <laughs> Not and just also, make fun of them. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly, exactly. I've, I've tried like, I've tried very hard to protect those people and use pseudonyms. Um, but um, it's, it's really a, kind of a 40 year reflection on what I've seen uh, about leadership. And, and as, as the title suggests, where good leaders often go wrong. Yeah. That's awesome. So in, in preparing for meeting with you, do people have to have like their P&Ls and their KPIs and all of that stuff ready? Or do they just go, you know what, this kind of seems right. And I love the tone of your voice. I'm just going to go. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm flexible, Michelle, I'm fluid, uh, right? And different people are at different stages of their life and their career, for sure. Um, it really depends, I think, to some extent on, on what they believe at the time their, their real interest is. I'm, I'm more than happy to help them just explicitly with their business, right? What's going on in their business? Where, where are the hot buttons? Why is the revenue, you know, not growing? Uh, why are the expenses growing so fast? You know, what is your value prop? I think a lot of companies, particularly smaller companies, forget from time to time about what is our value prop? How are we selling? How are we promoting? So I think working through that and being kind of a devil's advocate and, and you know, a lot of companies now have so much data because it's, you can just have tons of data. But a lot of companies um, don't necessarily, smaller ones have the time to necessarily dig into those data um, or forget that there's all this data that could be really helpful to them. So sometimes what you're looking for is, you know, uh, right in your own backyard, right? It's right behind the curtain. You just got to pull it back. Right. So it's been awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time immensely. But I have to ask you this. At what point in time in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Um, that's a really, really, really good question. <laughs> um, I'll I, I, I tell you the long answer to it. Yes. But um, when I worked for Abbott for 11 years, it was fabulous. And I, I could not have done what I've done without my time there. But this is before email and before computers. Abbott used to send out these blue memos and it would say, please come to the Abbott cafeteria uh, in building six from two to four. Uh, we're celebrating the retirement of Mr. Wetrich or Mrs. Jones or, you know, Mrs. Presley. Uh, they've been here 35 years and we want to wish them farewell. And uh single-handedly without any question, Michelle, those blue memos drove me out of Abbott Laboratories. I could not possibly see me going to the cafeteria at age 60 years old or 65 years old, getting my punch and cookies, getting my clock and a bunch of pats on the back and leaving. And that's when I said, I've got to go see if I can start a company. I've got to write a business plan and I've got to go see if I can be an entrepreneur because I don't want to be at 60 getting my punch and cookies and wondering if I could have done it. Could, could I have done it? Could I have made it? So that, that company uh, put me on, on that path. I love that. So <laughs> I got two questions for you. One, what is, what would you say was the hardest thing about becoming an entrepreneur? And the other one is what is the best thing or the easiest thing, but we'll start with what was the worst thing about becoming an entrepreneur? For you? <laughs> uh, 
the hardest thing was um, was jumping off the gravy train, you know, at, at 43 years old, making a lot of money, getting a lot of bonuses, getting a lot of stock, having a lot of perks, and waking up the next day realizing I got nothing unless I go get it. And uh, that's hard. That's that's hard. And and I I I think it. It was a struggle for my wife for a while because she's like, you know, is this thing going to work out? I mean, I love you. I know you. I love you. But you just walked away from a huge job in a great company. And all of a sudden now we got nothing. So that was that was really hard. Um, the most exciting thing is realizing that I had done it. You know, when I hit my five year mark and uh, I had, I think at the time, five employees, I had never missed payroll. Um uh, I never had to borrow money to make payroll. I'll be quite open and honest and transparent. There were plenty of times I didn't get paid, but everybody else got paid and I never had to borrow money for working capital. Uh, and not that that's a bad thing. It can be quite fine. But um, I think realizing that I had done it, um, a lot of companies never hit that five-year mark and um, that I'd had a lot of clients and done a lot of good work and I had repeat clients and I'd done some work for my old company, Abbott Laboratories. That's always rewarding when your old company brings you back. I think that milestone was, was um, for me, uh, so much more important than going to the Abbott cafeteria at six years old and getting my punch and cookies. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Jim, for being here with us today. Again, I know how valuable your time is. I appreciate it immensely. You are a wealth of knowledge and I can't wait to pick your brain again. Any last words? <laughs> My pleasure. Piece? No, no. Um, just, um, you know, I think self-awareness and, and knowing who you are and what you stand for uh, is really so important right now and um, decide what it is you stand for and go get it. Uh, there's never a better time to be an entrepreneur because there's so much technology and so many people like you uh, giving advice um, to people listening, right. To all the advice your, your, your um, guests are giving. And I think it's just, it's so such a great time. And I know everyone appreciates all the hard work you're doing. Ah, beautiful. Thank you. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast so that we can help you scale your business and refer a friend because we love having you here. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.